Kia ora, I'm Erin Keem and you're listening to Conversations About Closets with my closest thousand friends. I started this project to get me through a gloomy Seattle winter, which was hitting me hard. The thing is, I love women. Why not showcase them? Why not call women I've never met, have our first conversation, record it and turn it into a podcast? So that's what I did. I didn't edit, I still don't. Some days I'm on fire, some days not so much, and sometimes I even forgot to ask questions about closets. But all my guests are amazing. Listen up, get to know them, you'll be glad you did. If you want to be a guest on my show, go to erinkeem.com. I'd love to meet you. Aroha for listening, here's today's episode. Lisa! Hello, I'm so sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, you really weren't. I was feeding the dog and I was turning down the heater. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sounds like a Seattle kind of thing to do. Oh, it worked out perfectly. And thank you for joining us because Lisa Zachary Fane, you have just come off giving a webinar, Weaving Influence, the Value of Feedback and Mentoring and Beyond. Is that the one you've just come from? It is, it is. Oh, how did it go? Really, really well. I have um, two colleagues who I met in the last couple weeks who wrote a wonderful book called Feedback and Other Dirty Words. And um, <laughs> they're, they're, the book is spectacular. And there's so much synergy in what we do. We decided to have a webinar with um, our, the, the firm that we both use for our social media. Um, and it was really fun. Really fun. That's fantastic. What are some of the things that you covered? Well, mostly um, how to have effective feedback. You know, it's the, the, there's such a stigma around feedback that it is this, you know, you have to brace for a sucker punch every time somebody says, can I give you some feedback? And um, really, feedback should be something that's ongoing and that can be positive and negative, um, but always constructive. It's always focused on growth. So we talked about how do you build trust so that you can um, uh, establish effective feedback uh, conversations. How do you establish good conversations and keep your conversations in a realm of dialogue? So there's a lot of learning and trust that happens. Um, we talked about how do you make your um, feedback culturally relevant so that it really fits the, per- the person who's asking. So uh, I think that's the high level of it, Erin, but um, mm-hmm. it was really rich. No, it was a really rich conversation. That's great. I've got so many other questions to ask you as well possibly uh, possibly not relevant anymore, but do people still use the sandwich technique? <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because um, uh, Tamara and Laura, the authors, use this term, the, the shit sandwich. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. <laughs> um, which is the model that we were all taught, right? Which is like, say something positive, say something negative, and follow up with something positive. And... Um, You know, they believe, as do I, that that's really not that effective. Most people see through it. It feels a little bit disingenuous, you know. Erin, it's great to see you. I really appreciate the effort you took in coming today. Let me tell you about something you really did wrong. Again, Erin, it's great to see you. It's like, you know, blah. Um, So instead, like, how do you have this ongoing, um, you know, feedback absolutely can and should be positive, but it doesn't have to be like in that, you know, formed into a sandwich so that you, um, you know, deliver it in that way. It just, I think that it just, that doesn't, never feels genuine. 
I used to be terrified of performance reviews, which is part of the reason I'm my own boss. And the words we need to talk still still create such fear. Uh-huh. <laughs> such fear in my heart. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But you know why? Because they probably were work environments where there wasn't ongoing there wasn't ongoing feedback. So it had to be this big thing of like, all right, it's time now to, you know, it's time now to review how you're doing. You know, that's the environment where surprises come in. Surprise, <laughs> And that's never a good thing when it comes to performance. So if it, if it were instead an ongoing thing, you know, an annual performance review, yeah, I get why we, why organizations do it, right? You know, you got to review compensation. You want to make sure people get feedback, but I'm, I like daily performance reviews, <laughs> you know, where it's not this big thing. It's just part of how, how are things going? And the great thing about that is that tiny adjustments can be made along the way. Growth can happen along the way. If you're, if you're ongoing with this, it's evolving. Mm-hmm. You're not stack, you're not waiting for these, um, these, these, uh, what do you call it, um, arbitrary times to actually go over something. Yeah, 100%. Hey, hey so you have an amazing uh, business. It's called the Centre for Mentoring Excellence. Now, that uh, it's defined it on the website. It's centreformentoring.com. This was started by your mum. It was, yeah. Because I did some stalking because you wrote a book, <laughs> which I want to talk to you about, but it was Lisa Zachary Fane, right? And then it was Lewis jay zachary and i'm like okay i have to work this out so your mum actually started the center for mentoring excellence would you tell us tell me about that yeah i'd love to so um so it was started in 1992 uh, originally called leadership development services and center for mentoring excellence kind of grew out of it and um you know our organization goes in to uh, organizations companies agencies not-for-profits around the world and helps them create better um better uh, mentors and uh, better leaders and more inclusive environments through mentoring. But she started it, as I said, in 1992. And, you know, if you would have asked me even, you know, six or seven years ago, if I would ever be working, uh, you know, A, as an entrepreneur, but B, with my mother, um, I would think you were a little bit crazy Um, because we're just, you know, different interests, different career paths. But I was leading diversity, equity and inclusion for an organization and our women's group um, wanted to have a, a mentoring program. So I, you know, I called her up and I said, you know, well, what should I do? And she said, well, why don't you bring me in? And I said, mom, I can't, I can't hire my mom. <laughs> like, you know, I manage a p and I, I can't say to my boss, like, let's hire my mommy. And she's like, no, let me just come in and do it for you. So by this point, I had developed a, a coaching practice on, on the side. Um, and I had really come to believe that the work that I was doing um, the diversity, equity, inclusion work was really important work that I felt good about, but I was frustrated because I felt like a training here or work with the leadership here or even an ERG there never felt like it made a change. And it wasn't until the mentoring, you know, I really saw relationships across difference in the workplace that that really moved the needle. Bring my mom in. And I had a moment, Aaron, where I like looked down, I was taking notes and it was like an epiphany. I looked up and I'm like, wow, this woman's really good. Oh my goodness, this is my mother. <laughs> you know, what she's passionate about, which is creating developmental relationships through mentoring. And what I'm passionate about, which is creating relationships across difference, that there was so much synergy there. So it wasn't too long after that, that I realized that, um, you know, it makes sense for us to kind of join forces. And so we did that. Uh, I was part-time, went part-time corporate 
2015 and part-time with her and then full-time in 2016. And then in 2018, January 1st, 2018 was my first day as CEO because she, that was her first day of retirement. Wow. It's been a joy. It really is like, it's so cool to be able to, to, um, you know, she, she has created quite a legacy that she's written six books. Now are the one we wrote together is her seventh, um, in the mentoring space. And, um, you know, every, every time I, in, in the world before COVID, when I would go to, um, a conference and people would, you know, see who, who I was affiliated with, they would tell me about how the mentoring work that she's done has transformed their organization or transformed their career. So it's just, I mean, such a privilege to be able to carry on that work and to do it with a, a, a focus on, you know, inclusion is something, which is something that I'm super passionate about. It's just a privilege. She must have been so thrilled to have a succession plan, to know that she was able to retire with a CEO that had uh, the perfect background for it and who she was able to know, like, and trust. So she, she must be absolutely thrilled. The book that you two wrote together is Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring, and that is available on Amazon. Uh, would you tell me a little bit about the book? I'd love to. I'd love to. So, you know, one of the things that um, I've realized throughout the course of my own career and certainly my work in mentoring excuse me, is that, um, you know, we're all taught not to talk about things like race and gender and religion and other elements of our identity in the workplace. And yet they're all part, such a part of who we are. And until we invite conversations about those in our uh, relationships, we're never going to really have authentic relationships. So the book is really designed to give mentoring pairs the tools to be able to talk about bridging differences so that um, you know, we can stop thinking about connecting despite our differences and start thinking about connecting because of our differences. So, you know, too often we think, you know, wow, um, you know, I, I have to find a commonality because otherwise we're just going to, you know, we're just starting from such different places. But what a beautiful thing it is that we're in different places, you know, and um, it, we can connect because of these differences. So the book is um, about giving people the tools to have these conversations, to use them in a way that um, drives both learning and deepening the mentoring relationships. Has mentoring become more challenging as the workplace has become more diverse? Mm, doesn't have to be. I think um, the more people avoid these topics, um, then, uh, then it can be more challenging. But in some ways, um, it really can be so much richer. I mean, if we're just in mentoring relationships with people who are like us, we're not really growing in the same way. So I think the the initial there's a lot of initial fear, right? You know, particularly around you know gender and race um, of you know saying the wrong thing, um, stepping in a minefield, um, and so it has caused a lot of people to avoid um, having relationships across difference, which is really detrimental, not just to organizational growth and not just to creating a more inclusive workplace, but really detrimental to one's own development. Um, but I don't think mentoring itself is more challenging. I think getting over the fear of um, saying the wrong thing is a hurdle that people need to overcome. But I, I, I do think, um, 
it, it, there's more of an imperative for it as the workplace becomes more diverse. Do you think that people are, obviously you, you don't want to offend, you, you don't want to uh, cause workplace disagreement. Do you think there's a fear of HR, a fear of repercussions of doing the wrong thing? Uh, you know, that's hard to say. I think in some cases there probably is. Mm. The antidote to that is to take the time and develop trust. Look, you don't want to be having conversations about um, differences from when you are in the absence of trust. You know, we just talked in the uh, webinar, I was just in about the importance of, of psychological and interact interaction safety and having really effective feedback conversations. And the same is true in mentoring conversations. If there's no trust, you know, there's a great analogy that my husband taught me years ago in a different context, which is that the levels of conversation that you have, the depth of conversation, you can kind of um, uh, compare to an apartment building. And there's like lobby level conversations. How's the weather? Um, you know, what sports team did you root for? What'd you do this weekend? In the lobby, it would be really weird in a lobby level conversation or with somebody with whom you have a lobby level relationship to say, tell me about your differences because you don't have that level of trust, right? You know, tell me about your views on healthcare reform. What? You know, I'm running into you with my wet umbrella. <laughs> so, um, but you, as, as you build trust, you kind of go up in the apartment building and you start to have deeper conversations. So it would be really strange on the fourth level of the apartment building to be talking about the weather um, when you have a more of a degree of intimacy and trust with somebody. So it doesn't have to be a hurdle. It doesn't have to be a fear of HR. When people have that fear, it's really because they haven't taken the time to develop trust and rapport and to establish safety in the relationship. Yeah, I realized my comment was coming from a place of fear as opposed to a, a mm. place of openness and willingness. And also uh, to have the privilege of getting to know people uh, and form a closer relationship with them. Yeah. But I think it's a good question, Aaron, because I think it's on lots of people's minds is like, wouldn't it, particularly if you come from a, from any either gender privilege or, uh, you know, racial privilege or whatever, it's um, a lot easier to be able to avoid those relationships um, because you're fearful about them. But when you think about creating a more equitable workplace, you know, it, you realize how, how um, detrimental it would be to operate from that place. You, before, you were a leader of diversity and inclusion at Outerwall. Mm -hmm. What's Outerwall? Um, Outerwall is an entity that doesn't exist anymore. It used to be the parent company for Redbox, the, okay. um, the DVD rentals, and Coinstar, um, which is still in, actually both Redbox and Coinstar are still in existence, and a third entity called EcoATM. Um, and since um, I've left, they, or actually right before I left, they uh, split out. Um, so Outerwall is no longer around. But I started in through the Red Box world. I was living in Chicago and hired in to be the employment counsel for Red Box. And then when um, we combined with Coinstar and um, became a publicly traded organization, I uh, still practicing employment law for, uh, for the combined organization and then began to lead. Uh, diversity and inclusion for them. Thank you. Uh, I was really intrigued by the name. It's a great name, yeah. Outer Wall. Yeah, it is a great but, name. But before that, you, you were also qualified as a lawyer, right? <laughs> I, 
I was. I, I, I suppose I still am, <laughs> but I haven't practiced it. <laughs> Um, I was a management side employment lawyer for uh, a little over a decade. I practiced for in a big law firm in Chicago and then was the in-house lawyer for, um, for Redbox. And um, I, I really liked that area of law. You know, it's, it was great because I could counsel clients on how to create more fair and equitable workplaces. But, um, you know, I realize now from the benefit of hindsight that, um, you know, a lot of the advice that I would give people to stay away from topics like race and gender um, and those kind of things in the workplace was really doing a disservice to the relationships. Um, and more, it was more from a protectionist kind of point of view. It's not that you can't talk about it, right? It's that you can't make decisions based on those things. But talking about it, inviting um, people to, sh- to be able to show up authentically is so, so, so critical. I know on your Facebook page, it says uh, your mantra is that you want to leave it better. What do you want to leave better? Oh, you're such a good researcher, Erin. I love it. Um, <laughs> well, apart from the fact I didn't know that Outer Wall had closed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. That's, that's, that's okay. Um, uh, leave it better is just really to leave the world better, you know, to make sure that the world is better for having me having had me in it. So leave people's lives better, leave the world better. Um, leave my relationships better um, and have people say, you know, I'm really glad that she lived. <laughs> I mean, not too lofty, right? But and not too morose. But at the end, that I can be able to say that I left things better than I found them. I kind of use it as a as a, a reminder, you know, like if I'm hiking and I see a piece of paper on the trail, I'll pick it up. I'm like, oh, leave it better, you know, or, you know, uh, if somebody left their uh, you know, trash by the side of the road or, you know make the bed a little bit better than I found it in the, in the morning or whatever. I think you're going to leave the world better at a higher level as well. But I am so pleased to know that my effort to pick up dog poop, um, <laughs> I find it all over the world, actually counts. Um, I always get, this is completely random, I always give the dog owners the benefit of the doubt. They didn't see it, the dog was off leash, they forgot their bags. But there's something to be, it's, it's about PR. You know, I want people to think well of dogs. So, yeah, um, I always carry extra bags. Random conversation. Oh, I love it. You are working with distributed teams online. Uh, What do you mean by distributed teams? Yeah, um, teams that are really all over the world. So, so, you know, the old model, and this is so much more relevant even now post-COVID, right, or during COVID, um, but you know, used to be the model that you have a corporate headquarters and everybody's in the corporate office, right? But now... Um, uh, there are teams, you know, before COVID, there were teams in various, uh, different locations and now even more so as people are virtual. So teams that are, that work as a whole team, but they are not in the same location. I was wondering if it was relevant to the last year because people are now finding that they don't have to work where they don't have to live where they work. I think if anything, the last year taught us that we, we can be digital nomads. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I believe there'll be some exodus uh, out of Washington uh, based on that because we don't need to be near the, the big tech companies that we needed to be near anymore. Yeah. You are a speaker. You are an amazing speaker and you give signature talks. What are these talks about? Uh, well, I talk I have a feeling I know. I have yeah. a feeling I know, but tell me anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I talk a lot about bridging differences for better mentoring. I talk about how to make mentoring relationships. No, really? Really, really. <laughs> 
Um, I talk about um, goal setting and uh, feedback, but uh, mostly about um, how do you create effective mentoring relationships? How do you set it, set them up for success? How do you um, have the basically set up a playbook um, so that you can you know steer your mentoring relationships in a way that's that's most effective. And you also train the trainers, which yeah. means that you train mentors how to mentor. Uh, no, I mean I do train mentors how to mentor, but I train uh, so organizations might hire us. Uh, organizations that have, for example, a talent and development team who like our content but don't want to bring us in every year or you know whatever to be able to deliver have internal people who can train their people. Um, in our in our content, so we facilitate we uh, certify facilitators within organizations um, so that they can deliver our content to mentors and mentees um, in a way that's you know scalable. My sister has a software company called Fuel Fifty, which is career engagement software, and I see some parallels because, as you say, mentoring offers a huge return. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about some of the ways it, it actually brings money back into the company's pocket? Sure. So um, I would say uh, there's so many ways to answer this to answer this question, Erin. I love it so much. Um, oh, good, yeah. good, good. We've got to go for it. Yeah. So, um, so the first is if you think about it on the organizational level, is about uh, it certainly helps with succession planning. It helps with exposure to new talent. It helps with retention. It helps attract. Um, talent, you know, the millennial and Gen Z generations um, have an expectation of mentoring in a way that Gen X and baby boomers didn't. For Gen X, I'm a Gen Xer myself, but for Gen Xers and baby boomers, what we think is it's a kind of a nice to have, right? You know, it's something that we have to seek out on our own. It's not an expectation. But for the top talent in the younger generations, it really is an expectation. And so in the war for the best talent, Um, or the competition for the best talent, more might be too strong. And the competition for the best talent is to be able to, um, you know, say we we invest in your development and growth. Um, We, you know, we really want to create more exposure for you as you come into the organization. So that's a big one. Also, just in terms of creating a culture of learning and a culture of um, growth, mentoring is really important on that level. And then, of course, it's a pay, it pays back to the organization in that mentoring develops better leaders in it by it, through its mentors, right? Mentors become better leaders through mentoring, and then mentees tend to have better performance results. They uh, they tend to feel more engaged. Um, we know from all sorts of studies that when people have a meaningful relationship in the workplace, they feel more loyal. They want to contribute more. And mentoring really contributes to that as well. And then on an individual level, of course, you know, create, having, a, having a meaningful relationship is fulfilling in and of itself for mentors giving back. And for mentees really being able to set and achieve goals and step out of their comfort zone in a way that they otherwise um, might not have been able to do. And loyalty, uh, you may have mentioned it, loyalty leads to retention. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I'm Gen Xer as well, and it was about I had to find my own mentors. Mm-hmm. But now, now it is shifting that companies 
are creating environments where mentors are available. That's awesome. Yeah, I think there's a value in both. There's a value in sort of informal mentoring relationships or mentoring relationships outside of a mentoring program and a value in mentoring relationships within a program. One of the things that we know is if organizations only rely on informal mentoring um, or only rely on people choosing their own mentoring relationships, that those opportunities tend to not be um, equitably distributed. And so uh, people who are traditionally underrepresented in the workplace don't benefit from them in the same way. And it really creates more of a divide. So the formal mentoring is important uh, to create a more equitable workplace because it does create more equity and exposure to people and opportunities. I wanted to try and work a question on about clothes because ostensibly I'm supposed to be asking questions, you know, yeah. about closets, but I, but I keep forgetting because I, I'm, I'm listening to, you know, these, all the women I talk to are so incredible and I keep forgetting to bring it back to wardrobe. Yeah, let's do it. But clothes, clothes, well, I'd love to know about your personal style, but also clothing in the workplace. Please tell me that people are becoming more open to diversity and clothing in the workplace. Oh, I wish I could. I think it so depends, Erin. I think there are still some industries that are, you know, I would say in the COVID world, you know, we all have, what, what do they call it? The business mullet, where you look professional from the waist <laughs> up and uh, you're in your sweatpants or your boxers on the, from the waist down. Um, but I do think that there still are industries that are pretty traditional and, um, and can be kind of confining. And even if they say that you can be more creative, you know, what people learn is that, um, if they are more creative, that it, it, it is just a barrier. It can be a barrier just in terms of judgment. Um, but I do think organizations are becoming more casual. Whether they're becoming more open or not, I don't know. But they are becoming more casual, um, even before COVID. Um, and maybe that's just a, a product of me now being on the West Coast instead of the Midwest. Maybe it hasn't changed that much. In the I was going to say, is that is that a Seattle thing? Yeah. Because I know people here tend to really dress down. Yeah, I, I certainly notice a difference uh, being in Seattle versus what it was when I was in the Chicago area. Um, and, you know, even more so when I travel to Washington, D.C. for work or New York for work, people are definitely more buttoned up. Um, so I don't know. I, um, you know, you asked my just shifting to the first part of your question. I don't know that I have a personal style. I know that I, um, you know, having come from a law firm environment and, um, you know, having a professional uh parents who both always dressed professionally I am not as um, creative or colorful in my wardrobe as I think the inside I think the inside of me is colorful and I don't always <laughs> I don't always present um, externally that way but um, sometimes a red lipstick or pink lipstick helps <laughs> just my little oh color. you rebel yeah you I know rebel. it's crazy <laughs> I mean really living 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 crazy I um, I, you know I, I love structured clothing I love tailored clothing I just love I love um, kind of the quality of it. And I get get excited about, you know, brands like, you know, M.M. LaFleur or um, Brass Clothing that are doing things, you know, they're companies that are owned by women, built by women, and, you know, help people look, you know, professional and tailored, but in a way that's like a little more effortless, effortless and affordable than some of the super high-end brands. That's never been my thing. And they're beautifully made. Yeah. And... Uh, MN Fleur really does go out of its way to help create capsule wardrobes, if I remember correctly. Yep. yep. Which is also really useful. Yep. Well, you're wearing a really cute black tailored jacket on your LinkedIn profile. Thank I'm you. staring at you as we speak. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
thank you so much for coming to me straight off your webinar. I really appreciate you fitting me in. Make sure you get Lisa's new book, Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring, uh, available at all your favorite bookstores. And you can find centerformentoringexcellence.com or just track Lisa down through LinkedIn. Um, or is there any other preferred way you want people to, to find you? LinkedIn is a great way. I'm always on there. And uh, if you follow me on LinkedIn and reach out, I would love to connect. And thank you for making me feel that I'm contributing to the world and becoming a better person through having extra dog poop bags. <laughs> you are indeed, Erin. You are. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I so enjoyed our conversation. Uh, me too. Talk to you soon. Take Bye. Care. Bye.